And that same Jesus who walked out of that tomb took our human nature with him into heaven, and he will forever and ever have our human nature with him. And that's the same Jesus who was coming back in the flesh. Hello and welcome to the Housetop Gospel Podcast. I'm Mike Gomez. The Housetop Gospel is a storytelling podcast of the life and the times of the Lord Jesus Christ and the many beautiful things that he did in the Gospels and, of course, the lives of those around Jesus that were so dramatically impacted by their encounter with Jesus. Today's podcast is called The Logos. Logos is a very profound term that we find in the Gospel of John. Translated into English, it means the Word, as in the Word of God. So with that, please listen in and enjoy the Logos on the Housetop Gospel Podcast. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1, verse verse 1. The Greek translation for word that we read in verse 1 is pronounced logos, which is where we get the verb, the English verb logo. We all know what a logo is. A logo is a, a symbol or an image that represents a brand or an organization like Coca-Cola or Starbucks. For example, McDonald's has the golden arches. We all know What the golden arches represent? They represent McDonald's. Logos can spark a thousand images into our mind. Let's say you're driving on the freeway in the middle of the night. You're hungry and you see the golden arches lighting up the sky in the distance. Then you begin to naturally think about a Big Mac or a quarter pounder, French fries and a Coke. A logo, that's, that's what it's intended to do. A logo 
can speak a thousand words. Similarly, the ancient Egyptians used hieroglyphics in the writings on the walls of the pyramids, small little images of their culture to communicate a story or a message or the history of their culture. So now imagine in the theater of your mind those little hieroglyphic images coming to life. Imagine them start moving and begin talking to you and telling you their story. Well, in verse 14 of John's gospel, it says the word or the logos became flesh. That's what that's what John is communicating at the at the outset of his gospel. The word, the logos came to life. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 14. We express our thoughts through words, don't we? Words, they communicate our most inner thoughts and ideas. Words potentially reveal to us what we do not see or what we can cannot see. In the same way, Jesus is revealing to us the one that we cannot see, namely God. In the early days, both the Jews and the Greeks understood this concept of word. To the Jewish people, word meant the creative life-changing power of God. Because God's word was alive and active in the uh, world's creative process in the beginning, you know, to the Jewish people. That's, that's what word meant. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth in Psalms chapter 33, verse 6. Again, he sends forth his commands into the earth. His word runs very swiftly. That's Psalms 147, verse 15. And one more, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. On the other hand, the Greeks viewed the logos, or the word, implies that there is a divine order in the world. The Greeks believed the world is controlled by the mind of God. They believed the word was the source and the cause governing the entire universe and preventing total chaos. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made in Romans chapter 1. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And again, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed error over all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's Hebrews chapter 1. The Gospel of John begins with the declaration that Jesus is the Word. The first time John mentioned the term Word or Logos was concerning God's creation. In verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, He was with God in the beginning. In verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. These three powerful verses communicate a great deal of, of truth about who Jesus is, the God's Son. John declared that Jesus existed before creation. He is the eternal Word of God. And not only was He present when God created the universe, He was active in the process of creation. Furthermore, Jesus is also distinct from God the Father because the Bible says He was with God in verse 2. Yet, Jesus is God. John clarifies this, that the Word was God. And wait, there's still more. God's Word became flesh. That's in verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Theologians and Bible scholars refer to this event that actually happened, you know, in in the first century is the incarnation of Christ. Jesus did not stop being God, the Son, when he was born into this human race. Instead, he became the God-man while still possessing his deity, his true essence and nature. So, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, He was 100% God and 100% man. Remember, Jesus came into this world to take on our sinful nature. And he lived this perfect, sinless, impeccable life that no human being could ever live. And when he was 33 years of age, died this horrible, humiliating public death on a Roman cross. 
and within three days, he walked out from that tomb 100% restored to health in flesh and bone. And that same Jesus who walked out of that tomb took our human nature with him into heaven, and he will forever and ever have our human nature with him. And that's the same Jesus who is coming back in the flesh. So why did why did Jesus do this? Now, I mean, we can talk about this for a long time, why he did this. But, but just real quickly here, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Because the children uh, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered. When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. That's why Jesus became like us, or at least one reason, and was tempted in every way, just as we are. The difference, though, is that Jesus did not yield to temptation. And a lot of people have a problem with that. Jesus could not sin, you see. It was impossible for Jesus to sin. How so? Because, again, Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is the Logos in John chapter 1. C.S. Lewis said something very interesting in his book, Mere Christianity. I, I highly recommend that you pick up a copy of this book. Mere Christianity. Sin is not an original thing, you know, and then he goes on and talks about it. Sin is something that is stolen from something that is originally good. Sin is, it's, it's a lie from what is true. Sin is a gross distortion of what is crystal clear. It's like a parasite, an appendage. You know, it's a growth and a tumor. Without something good and right, sin would cease to exist. It needs something to corrupt and to ruin. You see, sin is, is the disease, but Jesus is the cure for that disease. Sin is darkness. Jesus is the light. And in him, there is no darkness. The darkness has to flee from the light. You see, it was impossible for Jesus to sin. I like the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 8. He says, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did 
by sending his own son in likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might fully be met in us. We do not live according to the sinful nature, but in accordance to the Spirit. Therefore, Jesus is the only way, our only access to eternity and immortality with the God who loves you and reconciles you to his family. The Bible leaves no room for misunderstanding this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. 1 John chapter 5. And one day Jesus will come back as God in all his glory and power and majesty because he paid an infinite price for you and for me with endless, infinite ramifications. I like the way the Lord says it, that he gave his life a ransom for many. That's in Mark chapter 10. Because he died for you and me. That's why he's coming back, that we might live. So he's coming back for us, you see. I like how Paul, oh, I'm sorry, uh, how, it, how it says in Revelations. I mean, you got to read the whole chapter, Revelation chapter 19. It says that he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean. You see, for the Lord dressed in a robe, he's, it doesn't say that he's dressed in armor. It says that he's in a robe and the armies are wearing fine linen. The battle's won. The victory's won. You know, we have the victory and that's how the Lord is coming back in Revelations. You got to read it. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, for you and for me, and he's coming back for his own. Listen to what the prophet says. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Isaiah chapter 1. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved.